You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death's construction. In the fields of bodies burning. War machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week Broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite Listen to the Anarchist World This Week Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse Listen to analysis of local, national and international events to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscano, I'm hosting today's program. This program is a podcast. You can access the podcast over the next 48 hours by going to 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. It's streaming live to uh, community radio stations across the country in every state, maybe every territory, I doubt it, but every state. So, uh, welcome. So, what's anarchism? Anarchos without rulers. It's about creating a society without rulers. What gives rulers the ability to determine the lives of billions of people? Inequalities in power and wealth. Very simply, inequalities in power and wealth. So the anarchist struggle is the struggle to share power, devolve power, possibly through direct democratic means, and the struggle to hold wealth in common and use it for the common good. Nothing radical about that. Very simple concepts. Exceptionally simple concepts. We should all be you know, embrace. But obviously in a society where the God, King and Country Brigade rule, these aren't concepts which are easily, easily, uh, you know, brought to your heart. And, uh, you know, I'm just amazed. I've been on the planet for over seven decades and I've lived all my life in this country because I was born here. I'm just amazed. Every day, I'm amazed. Every day. Look at the current, our pain, their profit mantra, which we're all, you know, singing to. Instead of singing Christmas carols or New Year's carols, whatever you sing, it's all about our pain, their profit. Our pain, their gain. Our pain, their gain. Our pain, their gain. So what are you talking about, Joe? It's very simple. Currently, we are seeing people in this country being screwed. Screwed. With increased interest rates. Now, the monetary policy goes something like this. And obviously, I'll miss one or two of the uh, sections, but I'm sure it goes. It goes something like this, right? There's inflation. What causes inflation in a capitalist society? Increase in profitability, 
from corporations and companies that are not regulated by the central authority or the government of the day so they, so they can extract the maximum profits from people. What's the second thing that causes inflation? Supply constraints. Fancy word, isn't it? Supply constraints. So what's a supply constraint is? Well, it means this. You want something. We don't make it in this country. or We don't make enough of it. But you want this. So what happens? Prices increase. What did COVID-19 do? What did the pandemic do over the last two and a half years? It broke down the normal supply routes. So because Australia abandoned manufacturing in a big way, you know, four decades ago, most of the stuff that we use to build things and, you know, do things with come from overseas. Okay? Very simple. So if there's a, a supply constraint, that means less stuff is coming overseas. So in a capitalist society, if there's a glut, prices fall. If there's scarcity, prices rise. So here we have prices rising because of uh, supply constraints. And at the same time, we have... Company profitability continuing to increase. So obviously these two things create inflation, okay? Look, I accept I live in a private investment for private profit, you know, world. That's, 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 that's my reality every day, okay? And it's your reality every day. Although I know one human being on planet Earth whose reality it isn't, but we won't talk about him because he'd be embarrassed. He lives off the land doesn't own anything, scavenges everything, so he doesn't care about inflation. So what does the Reserve Bank do, which is supposedly independent? They increased interest rates. So what's an interest rate? Well, interest rate is, in a capitalist society where you're starting off in life or where you want to start a new business or whatever, you borrow money from a financial institution. That financial institution gives you that money, but you've got to pay them a bit extra. That's what interest rate is. I mean, if you look at the Bible, they say that earthly is a crime, but we forgot about the Bible a long time ago, I think. So you've got interest rates, okay? You've got increased. So the Reserve Bank says people are they're saying inflation has been caused by the fact that people are spending. They're buying too much shit, right? They're buying too much shit, prices are going up, and we need to constrain them. We need to whip them into line. We need to increase interest rates so they actually don't buy as much. And if people don't buy as much, inflation will decrease and profits will, you know, decrease. So what do we do? We increase interest rates. Who does an increase in interest rates have a primary effect on? It has a primary effect on 99% of the population, not the 1% that own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication, but 99% of the population. It means that those on a lower income, those on Social Security benefits, 
have trouble accessing the basic necessities of life, like food and shelter. It means that the majority of Australians have, you know, have had to borrow money from a financial institution, you know, to keep a roof over their head or keep a small business functioning, pay more for that privilege. But it doesn't mean a drop in corporate profits. They continue to increase because basically what we have is a corporate cartel in this country. We have three or four major institutions being the main players in every field of human endeavour. Hardware, sport, the gym industry, aged care, childcare, NDIS, you name it, where there's a private investment for private profit mantra, you'll find that all these small businesses which uh, spring up to take advantage of the situation, like in the NDIS, kind of fall by the wayside, or if they're successful, they're bought out. And before you know it, hey, presto, you've got three or four big players controlling the situation. But there is another way in a capitalist society to actually kill inflation within two weeks, which actually has an effect on corporations and a lesser effect on individuals and people who need to buy the essentials in life. And that's what, what you do is you restrict the money supply. And what that means is you force the banks to put more money in the reserve bank. Currently, I think it's about 2%. That restricts the amount of money they are able to lend and that puts a handbrake on the economy. It was done in the 1990s when interest rates reached 17.4% and people thought, oh my God, where's this going to end? And the government of the day asked the Reserve Bank to increase the amount of reserves that it had from the financials, from the privately owned financial sector and that put a halt to that inflationary spiral increasing interest rates. So why do we, ordinary people, trying, the, trying to make the most of, you know, of what we've got, trying to survive, why do we always have to bear the pain to maintain corporate profits? Let's look at the other big thing today, energy prices, gas, lack of gas on the East Coast, etc., etc., etc. Now, the federal government, after being beaten around the ears and worried about the political ramifications of these escalating energy prices, not just for individual households, but for businesses and what's left of the manufacturing industry, have decided to use a little bit of their power and set energy caps, price caps, on the price of gas and oil. Listening to the private corporations, and not, you know, three or four of them, which dominate this field, it is the end of human civilization. It is the end of the world. The end is nigh, the end is nigh, the end is nigh. It's just unbelievable. You've got Shell cancelling 
a contract with the federal government to supply gas to the east coast of Australia. Overnight. That's blackmail. That is blackmail. If I did that, not only would be accused of blackmail, I'd find myself in court, but we get this large corporation says, excuse me, we don't want to cap on our prices. Even if you're going to compensate us, we don't want you to regulate us and we're big enough to tell you to, you know, you know, go jump in the lake. And what do we do? We go, oh, oh, isn't that sad? Isn't it sad? Here we have corporations, we, that's right, you, me, our political representatives, we have given them the key to the treasury. We have said if you invest a bit of money, you're allowed to exploit these natural resources, gas, oil, whatever. All and all, we give you a little piece of paper saying, although it ultimately belongs to the Crown, which is theoretically is us, it's yours as long as you give us a bit of taxation, revenue and a few royalties. And then when we say, excuse me, excuse me, you know, it's, it is Christmas and Charles Dickens, you know, excuse me, I want more, I want a little bit of more porridge, you get bashed around the heads and say, no, sorry, mate, you gave us the key to your resources, we'll charge you what price we want. And if you want to do something about it, We'll just withdraw from the contracts we've signed with you. Well, boys and girls, you all saw the power of the state during the COVID-19 pandemic, where rules and regulations were put in overnight, which curtailed people's activities. Overnight. Rules came in, bang. I understand why they come in, no problem. Now, we have the same problem. Increasing energy prices to sustain increasing corporate profits for these, you know, these corporations. And the federal government is not willing to introduce emergency legislation. That's right emergency legislation and nationalise those corporations that don't want to play ball, that want to hold us hostages because they've got their fingers on the tap as far as gas and oil is concerned, they want to extract the maximum profit, nationalise without compensation. Nationalise without compensation. And we'll see the other corporations fall into line. Very quickly, very quickly, because they are making extraordinary profits, extraordinary profits from resources which theoretically belong to the people of this country, including this country's First Nations people. They're making these extraordinary profits and now they're holding us hostages, blackmailing us, because they think that somehow it's their resources because we've given them the key to it. It's about time. If a government is willing to use the powers it has constitutionally in order to 
put major limitations on the activities of its citizens during a pandemic, why isn't it willing to use the same power to bring some corporation into line that's not willing, not willing to play ball as far as a little bit of a haircut as far as their profits are concerned? Think about it. It's always you and me that pay the piper. Our pain, their gain. That's the mantra. And when you've got a federal government that is not willing to confront the corporate sector head on, irrespective of its support in the legacy media, media, then we will continue to pay the price to, to ensure that their profits continue to soar. You're listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Look, I'm a little bit sick and tired of issue-orientated campaigns. I can see you going, oh, 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 evil, evil, evil. How can you get tired of issue-orientated campaigns? I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because in 2022, there are a few people in this country and around the world that are willing to look at the bigger picture. Now, today I heard the same old stories. You know, I keep hearing the same old stories. Woe be me. There won't be enough food for people over Christmas or a section of the population. Woe be me. Interest rates are increasing. Woe be me. Rents are increasing. The cost of a mortgage is increasing. The amount of government legislation to control activities is increasing. Woe be me. You know why this is happening to a significant degree? Because most activists in this country are fixated on a particular issue-orientated campaign. That seems to be the be-all and end-all of their activity. There's no wider criticism of the private investment for private profit mantra. There's no wider criticism of the concept of representative democracy, which has been hijacked by large transnational corporations who are f- believe they are too big to fail. Minimal discussion about a way- ways of actually resolving issues for significant sections of the population, not just minuscule minorities. Well, this goes on and on. And while we continue to focus on issue-orientated campaigns... We will continue, as a society, to face the same problems. And I know you're sick of this, but I'll repeat it again. Every day, we hear stories about people not being able to access accommodation. Every day, we hear stories about people not being able to access education. Every day we hear stories about people having trouble accessing health care. 
every day we have charities rattling their tin asking us to help this section of society or that section of society every day. And I, and I think to myself, why is it so? As Professor Julius Sumner Miller would have, stu- would have asked many decades ago, why is it so? This is a rich society. There's only 25 million of us, not 1.5 billion, 25 million, living on a resource-rich continent, a highly educated, sophisticated, inverted commas, community. Why is it so? And it's so because we have adopted the neoliberal philosophy, hook, line and sinker, I knew the gig was up three years ago when I, was at a, when I was having a coffee in a cafe in Coburg in Melbourne and next to me two, two uh, high-vis clad, you know, middle-aged elderly chaps walked in from the row project they were working on. You know, they weren't managers. And they sat down in the seat next to me and they were talking about their superannuation fund, their financial advisor, Stocks and shares, and I thought, wow, hasn't it changed since superannuation was introduced? Everybody thinks they're a little investor. Isn't that extraordinary? So why is it so? Why is it so? And it's because we don't tend to look at the bigger picture. It's not our fault. It's not people's fault. It's all about what's happening today. I mean, that's the news of the day. It's not about what happened yesterday, how it affects today and how we can change the future. It's all about maintaining the status quo. Think about it. I'm not telling you not to get involved in issue-orientated campaigns, but that's just an issue-orientated campaign. It's the hors d'oeuvres, the entree to activism. I mean, if you really want to resolve the issues or be involved in movements that want to resolve the issues that we faced and those issues are based on two two principles and that's why I'm an anarchist inequalities in power and wealth anarchism isn't about chaos it's about organization it's about self-fulfillment It's about self-organisation. It's about holding the Commonwealth in common and using it for the common good. I mean, people think we're idealists or idiots. The fact is, we're not idealists or idiots because we take personal responsibility for what we do. We don't blame a god or a king or a parliament or our country for the situation we find ourselves in. I mean... Let's look at this. Let's look at this, right? You're going about your business, you're Joe Citizen, Josephine Citizen, whatever, whatever you like to call yourself, right? You're going about your business and uh, all of a sudden you think, oh, oh, things aren't doing, aren't going that great for me. And you think, oh, it's that person's fault. They've got a different coloured skin. I don't like them. They've made life miserable for me. Oh, you see that person over there? They believe in marriage equality. They're getting married. You know, 
They're not heterosexual. What's going on there? It's their fault society's come to an abrupt end. But we never, as a society and as individuals and communities, think about why do we find ourselves in this situation? Is it these structural inequalities that occur in our society as far as power and wealth is concerned? that puts us in this, in this position where we are basically, although we so-called have the privilege to elect our representatives every three to four years, in a situation where we cannot actually change what's happening. We're totally powerless because of these inequalities in power and wealth. And every day, our pain there gain seems to be the mantra of the private investment for private profit mob. We all seem to be, you know, waving our different flags, jumping on different issues. Look, issues can be resolved within a capitalist context, and they are. And they are constantly. Now, I'm quite confident there will be a resolution in the next 50 years or so long after I've departed. Well, I wouldn't have been departed, I think, planted in the ground. The fact is there will be some accommodation with this country's First Nations people. There will be. We've seen this accommodation with the climate emergency, although there are dinosaurs still fighting you know, a rearguard battle against the fact that we don't have a climate emergency. And although most nations, sovereign nation states really haven't come to the party, the realisation is there because of uh, what's happening in the world today that something needs to be done about it sooner than later. But what's happened is, as we've seen with the climate emergency, we've seen the rise and rise and rise and rise of the green dollar, of green capitalism. As if capitalism, the exploitation of our resources for private profit, is somehow going to resolve the climate emergency. It may put it back a few decades, but it's not going to resolve that problem. We saw it in the struggle for gender equality in this country. Obviously that struggle's not finished and it continues and it will continue for decades to come. But today, it's all about the glass ceiling, the purple dollar. I mean, you can incorporate a struggle for gender equality into a capitalist framework. And you can, and it happens constantly. We see it in the queer industry, in inverted commas, where it's about the pink dollar. It's about how to capitalise on these newfound freedoms, not in terms of personal freedom, but in terms of ways of making a buck a ways in promoting the personal investment for private profit mantra. And we see this constantly. Irrespective of what the issue is, unless you're involved in campaigns and activities which challenge the central tenets, the building blocks, the foundation stones of the society we have created, which is not able to solve everyday problems like homelessness, 
food security, energy security, you name it. It will not be able to solve it. And that's what we've got to look at. We've got to look at what is the type of campaign that can't be co-opted. A simple one is a universal basic income. A universal basic income does provide a lot of personal freedom to people. It does allow them to make a decision whether they want to to be a wage slave or not. It means a total realignment of the way our resources are developed and exploited. And who benefits? So a universal basic income is a radical concept which is very difficult to incorporate within a capitalist framework. And again, you can do that as a reformer struggle. Then there's a struggle about profits. I have no problems with profits. My problem is how those profits are created and who benefits. And currently it's the other way around than it should be. Forty years ago, as I keep saying ad nauseum, if you invested a dollar in a successful investment, one third of that investment, any profit made, one third would go to you and two thirds would go to the people who created that profit for you because you provided them with that dollar. Today, in 2022, late 2022, two-thirds of that profit goes to the person who gave you the dollar and and one-third goes to the people who actually created that profit. So the end is a nigh. What is nigh is the survival of neoliberalism and the survival of capitalism in a society that faces the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Increasing population growth, which we're told will will you know will come to an end when we reach ten billion. I'm waiting to see that. Finite resources, although people keep telling us that our scientists are gonna work it all all out, and if we can't work it all out, we've always got the moon to exploit, or with Mr Musk we can go and set up a colony in uh, a few hundred of us in uh, in Mars, all right, so you've got increasing population, finite resources, increasing greenhouse emissions because of our activities and the real effect it's having on the planet. Now, I know that most people think that planet Earth is some type of, you know, solid little thing that will never come to an end. The fact is we live on a ball, or an eclipse, or ellipse, I should say. We live in a ball, surrounded by a thin stratosphere, 20, 30 kilometres, and there are billions of us, and we have finite resources, and we all want the best things in life, all right? That's why you like to, I don't, but you like to line up and self-check out at a corporate store, okay? The fact is that we don't have unlimited resources, And unless we change the way this society is organised, and I'm talking about radical, fundamental changes which actually not break down the bricks but change the foundation stones. I don't know if any of you have ever had a house re-blocked. It's quite an extraordinary process where you remove the rotten foundations and you replace them with good foundations but you keep the house. It doesn't fall apart if it's done properly. And it's the same thing we can do. We have a rotten foundation 
a rotten foundation. And that foundation is the exclusive dominance of the private investment for private profit sector in every aspect of our lives. And we need to change that foundation. And changing that foundation is not the end of the earth, is not the end of human civilization, as certain corporations are trying to tell us, as the government is trying to institute a minimal price cap for 12 months on energy prices in this country. The issue is changing the foundations, moving from a private investment to a private private investment, private profit model to a collectivist model, a mutual aid model, a collective effort model, where we all realise that we're all on the same ship and if the ship sinks, whether we're slaves, wage slaves, pulling the oars, or the 1% enjoying the champagne and the view, the fact is if the ship sinks, we all die. And that's why it's important that there are actually some people in our society who actually talk about and try to act on the need for fundamental change, fundamental change in terms of the way the economy is structured. I get sick and tired of people telling me, oh, you know, things are getting worse, we can't do anything about it, you can't fight City Hall. The fact is... If we all had that attitude through human history, we'd still, still, still find ourselves in societies where one individual determined our fate just through the click of a finger, not through a court, but because they've had a God-given right. That's funny, you know. When When you look at human history and you look at authoritarian regimes through human history, the ruling family or the leader, whether it was an Egyptian pharaoh, a French king, an English king, whatever, always had a divine right. They were above the law. They had a divine right which was given to them by some divine authority to rule us. Think about it. Listen to the Anarchist World this week. Broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting this program. If you don't like it, turn it off, okay? You don't have to listen. But if you do like it, or even if you hate it, give the information to your friends through the podcast, 3cr.org. Go to 3cr.org.au. Go to Anarchist World this week. And once again, thanks to those people at the Community Radio Network, which have allowed the Anarchist World this week to be broadcast across Australia for almost two decades. Now, this program has been coming to you in various guises from the studios of Melbourne's 3CR radical radio station from 1977. That's 45 years. So, if you hear about the green dollar, the pink dollar, the purple dollar, the black dollar, the orange dollar, whatever they want to call it, think again. All right, let's, you know, you need to be congratulated, boys and girls. Here we are. We have an extreme labour shortage, all right? Extreme labour shortage because and we've got businesses screaming. They want this cheap labour brought into the country again so that they can exploit them like they used to before, in the good old days before COVID-19 when one in seven Australian workers were on temporary work visas. <laughs> 
And we've got inflation nudging 8%. But guess what? Real wages aren't increasing. Historically, in a period of increasing inflation, real wages increase to keep up with inflation. Obviously, that's part of the spiral, but they increase. Historically, and we saw this after the Black Plague, you know, which swept across Europe and allegedly killed over 40% of the population. You think this is a pandemic? That was a good pandemic. We saw an extreme labour shortage, and that extreme labour shortage led to the demise of the European feudal system because of that labour shortage, and people were actually able to increase their wages or the goods and services they received because those who don't work needed them to work in order for them to prosper. It's very simple. But today, we have inflation, we have labour shortages, but we don't have increasing wages. So why is it so, Professor Julius Sumner Miller would ask you again? Well, guess what? Less than 10% of the privately employed workforce is unionised, and most of that section is in the what's left of the manufacturing industry. None of the gig economies unionised. Restaurants, not. Service, not. This list goes on and on. At the same time, we have allowed governments, and I know you're all protesting about the right, you know, to spread disease a few years ago or even now, but what happened in this country when legislation was passed to make striking illegal. You can only strike outside within an enterprise bargaining agreement period and only for four or ten hours or whatever after you jump through all these hoops. So I know we like to rail against the Korean, the North Koreans, the Chinese and you name it because they don't have the right to strike. Well, we don't have it. Now, some stupid people, in inverted commas, went and did a wildcat strike, unionised or non-unionised, in, let's say, a particular industry because they were really pissed off because they weren't sharing in the profits. Each individual could be fined $10,000 per day. Not the union. Obviously, they get fined too, but each individual worker, and that legislation has been used in West Australia. It's federal legislation. So we ought to be congratulated, shouldn't we? The difference between the 1970s, when over 50% of the private workforce was unionised and over 80% of the public workforce was unionised, the difference today is, one, there's no collective bargaining. Because unions are very weak and and those unions that are still got a bit of strength are constantly under attack by the courts and the legacy media and whoever else wants to put a boot in. And when supposedly the People's Party, the Alternative Liberal Party masquerading as the Australian Labor Party gets in, we see no major changes. All this bullshit about, 
you know, this, this new bargaining thing, it's crap. It's not going to in- increase wages. The way to increase wages is to actually remove all those laws which prevent people from withdrawing their labour. I mean, it's all about shareholder profits. It's nothing about the people who generate those profits sharing in those profits. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a, you know, a basic wage, then on top of that basic wage, let's say a profit-sharing scheme? Hmm? A profit-sharing scheme where 50% of profits are shared by the workers who actually create those profits and the other 50% are shared by the investors, not 90% to the investors and 10% to the workers. So we should be congratulated as a society. We allow the right to strike to be removed and then we complain. We complain. It's a little bit like me going up to the Murdoch Empire and saying, excuse me, well, he'd have hearing problems, I'd have to shout, excuse me, Rupert, I want a job to give an alternative, a different point of view, you know, in the, in the trash that you publish. You know, you may as well publish my trash if you, you know, you're going to publish their trash. Oh, sorry, Joe, no positions available, piss off. It's like trying to get a wage rise as an individual. Well, you can't collectively bargain... You can't collectively remove your labour. Excuse me, boss. Yes, yes, little Joey. Yes, little Joey, Joanne. Yes, yes, yes. Can I have a wager? Piss off. It's Christmas. Haven't you heard of Uncle Scrooge? And the list goes on and on. Uh, look, I apologise for the quality of the jokes today, but when you get to the end of the year and you've been active all year and you've been doing plenty of things and you've seen minimal, if no result, for all your efforts, you begin to understand how difficult the situation is. Good and evil. I'm, uh, I'm interested, fascinated, not just interested in what's just happened in uh, central Queensland, where two police officers were shot dead and three individuals were also were shot dead Two police officers were shot dead, an innocent bystander, a bystander was shot dead by three shooters, then the three shooters uh, were shot dead by a, a Queensland a police uh, tactical operations group. Now, this isn't your normal criminal activity. There's nothing normal about this. This isn't about some drug king trying to extend their empire. And it's not so about some standover merchant trying to make a buck. It's not about somebody who is mentally deranged, you know, been involved in some type of mass shooting, taking their rage out on the universe. Now, I know as much as you do currently, and I'm hoping over the next few months that we'll get more insight into this, what's happened. But to me, and this is just my personal opinion, this seems to be a declaration of war by the individuals involved against the state and the police were there as representatives of the state. I mean, these weren't uneducated people. These weren't, you know, young people full of testosterone who are angry with everybody and anybody. 
This was a calcia, it seems to be, and again, I don't know, I know as much as you do, and I'm just trying to analyse it. This is not a struggle between good and evil, as it's portrayed in the media, in the majority of the media. It's a struggle between good and evil. They were evil, the cops were good, bang, bang, bang. The state's good, they were evil, they're mentally deranged, they're full of conspiracy theories. Who knows? I don't know, but I'm just trying to analyse the situation. I'm trying to put some... Because... We need to analyse what's happened because this is not a normal criminal activity. This is not some outlaw motorcycle gang going berserk. These are three middle-aged people, all school teachers, one a principal. And they have declared war on the state, understanding most likely that they would die. So what leads people to this situation? What leads people to be to be so frustrated, so angry, so out of place, so marginalised? People have gone to university, people have experienced life in their middle ages who actually embarked on this suicidal declaration of war against the state. Is it mental illness? Is it a collective illness between three people who have been isolated for months in some property? Is it going to have taken up some religious mantra or something? What is it? We need to understand. If we want things to not to be repeated ad nauseum, we need to understand. It's not a struggle between good and evil. To dismiss it as a struggle between good and evil is to actually not look at the reasons. This is not a normal crime. This is not normal criminal activity. This is not religiously motivated violence. This is not even politically motivated violence. Information is beginning to, you know, appear. So let's see what we find. Because if we want to prevent these things from happening ad nauseum, we need to understand why they happen. Irrespective of whether it's logical, illogical, the reasons behind it. An understanding is what is needed, not this titanic struggle between good and evil, which is played out, supposedly played out every day in society. It's not good and evil. This is about human beings making decisions. Human beings have been on the planet for, you know, in their mid-40s. Human beings have been to university. Human beings who have, who have actually been involved in productive work is it a collective madness or is it a canary in the coal mine? It is to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Look, I have no answers, but I do have a lot of questions. And I think if we don't look at these questions, we're doing ourselves and our community a disservice. Look, I'm, I'm devastated. Look, I support the voice to parliament referendum. I'll tell you why. It's not the normal 
reason people support it. Look, I'm very familiar with many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities, so, you know, I've got a feeling of what goes on. And I've been alarmed at how people in authority have, since the Mabo decision and the legislation which came after the Mabo decision, not just people in authority but corporations which uh, exploit their lands, have been able to divide and rule Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. And to a significant degree, this is due to the fact that we have been promoting a First Nations agenda. That somehow, each First Nation group is in a constant battle with another First Nations group for access to resources and land. And currently there are cases around the country where some of these communities have become so factionalised and these factions have been manipulated by governments at the state and federal level as well as by corporations which mine on their land. And let's not forget they don't have the right to deny mining. That we are seeing a fracturing of an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander identity. Because people identify with the particular tribal group or particular clan that they're descended from or involved with. The voice to Parliament is just not a mechanism via which a group of people can actually provide advice, not tell Parliament what to do, like the corporate sector does every day, like Shell did today when they said, we're not going to give you any more gas, we're going to, we're going to remove ourselves from that contract because we don't like you putting caps on our profits. But a voice to Parliament is a way of unifying the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community. It's a way of unifying this country's First Nations people in one cohesive organisation. That's what ATSIC was able to do before it was abolished by the Howard government. It was an elected representative group. And the mistake, well, the problem with ATSIC was that it was just another government agency and the government of the day could get rid of it. Like the government of the day can sell any public asset any time it wants, for any reason it wants, they decided they just wanted to get rid of ATSIC. Now, the voice to Parliament will provide a unified Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice to the Australian people and the Australian Parliament. And that's the key. A voice that cannot, if it's successful, the referendum is successful, a voice that cannot be abolished by the government of the day because they're unhappy with the advice they've been given. So that's why I support it, because the factionalisation of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities, where we see many communities now in court, European courts, to resolve who is the official 
custodian, custodian of this little piece of land or that little piece of land will destroy, destroys the ability for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders not just to act in the interest of their clan or their community or their tribe, but in the interest of the society as a whole. Listen to the anarchist, so that's why I support it. You listen to the anarchist world this week, broadcast across Australia via the community radio network. Now, just a few facts. First of all, I'd like to thank all those people that came to the West Papua and do at the end of uh, in uh, in uh, on the eleventh of December. Look, if you want to join the West Papua and Rent Collective, thirty dollars a month, three sixty five for a year. Give us a ring on 0439 395 489, 0439 395 489, and I'll send you the details. But I was a little bit amused. Now, the Indonesian government has been passing authoritarian laws now for a few years to uh, appease its uh, Islamic uh, fundamentalist uh, allies. And there was a huge hullabaloo in the Australian media about the fact that, you know, if you went to Indonesia and, you know, and you were caught having sex outside marriage, that maybe you could spend 12 months in jail. It was huge news. I'm thinking to myself, where am I living? Should it be, shouldn't it be huge news that there is one Indonesian soldier for every adult, West Papua and Mali and West Papua, that's 220,000 Indonesian soldiers? Shouldn't it be Australian news that every week people disappear because they're promotion of the West Papua Independence Cause? Shouldn't the genocide that's occurred there be first page news or number one, television, radio, social media? No. But a little law that may have a a minimal effect on Australian tourists, front page news. I think that tells us all about the society we live in. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. This program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. You can write to us. Yes, I love letters. Yes, I do get them. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Social media, public interest before corporate interests. That's right. That's YouTube channel. Facebook pages, Joseph Toscano, Toscano for Mulgrave. What a wonderfully unsuccessful campaign. Toscano for Northcote, you name it, I've stood it. I like to be a fawn in their side, a burr under the saddle. Thank you once again for listening to the, your local commu- on your local community radio station to the Anarchist World this week, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. And I'd like to welcome Kelly Whitworth, our famous producer, back into the studio. She has survived. She has survived. She's back. She's lost about 16 kilos, but she is with us. Thank you once again for listening to us, courtesy of the Community Radio Network, on your local community radio station. This program is podcast. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist Wall this week. Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse, 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger.
Become a 3CR subscriber today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03-9419-8377. Be a part of your community radio station. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.